Highland Falls, El Paso, Clarksville, Watertown, and from other important military capitals around the globe. Eye on Defense brings the top military and defense issues into focus. Eye on Defense is proudly sponsored by Big Sarge Pre-Owned TA-50 Emporium and The Last Hope Jewelry and Pawn. And now, citizens of Earth, brace yourselves for the next episode of Eye on Defense. Defense, 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 defense. All right, we're back. Uh, this is episode 185. It's 30 October, the evening of 30 October, the, evening, uh, the eve of Halloween. Uh, Halloween's tomorrow, of course. Uh, I guess before I go, oh, what do we got for stories? One, two, three, nine stories tonight. Do some Israel stuff and some other stuff. And uh, before we get started, kind of a personal thing, I guess personal, on the podcast, I had a ton of, ton of downloads the last five or six episodes. Uh, so much so, I was suspicious. I was like, holy cow, where are all these downloads are coming from a lot of listeners or, or whatever. So I called the podcast server or sent him an email, didn't call him. I said, Hey, I'm getting a lot of downloads more than usual. Is it these some sort of bots or robots or whatever they call? Them? And they looked into it and they said, No, they're legitimate downloads. So I don't know. To everybody that's out there listening, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Um, I don't know. That's all I want to say is thanks. All right, moving on. I'll start off with some. Uh, some Israel stuff. There was a press briefing today. Senior defense, uh, U.S. DOD, senior defense official holds background briefing. Of course, uh, the spokesman for the Pentagon, Air Force Brigadier General Pat Ryder, Pentagon press secretary. And then I'll go into another one. I think there was two today. I'm not going to go crazy and go all through it. I don't think he made any opening remarks. If he did, they weren't that important. So I'll go right to the question. So here we go. 30 October, Senior Defense Official, Air Force Brigadier General Pat Ryder, Press Secretary uh, for the Pentagon, General Ryder. Let's go to Jared Al Monitor. Uh, Hi, thanks for doing this. I believe it was Friday. General Eric Smith, Commandant of the Marine Corps, said that General Glenn, remember we talked about this guy, Lieutenant General Glenn had gone to Israel to advise on I guess the Gaza operation, anyway, had returned from Israel. When did General Glenn return? Why did he return? And has the department's advisory mission towards the Israelis, of which was reported that he was part of, continued in any further fashion? Thanks. Thanks for the question. Here's the answer. So Lieutenant General Glenn was one of a few officials with relevant experience who the Department of Defense asked to help Israeli officials think through difficult questions that they need to consider as they conduct their planning. Israeli Defense Forces will, as always, make their own decisions about its military operations. I want to be clear here. U.S. military officials are not directing or advising operations. General Glenn's trip was temporary, intended to offer observations informed by extensive military expertise and pose hard questions to the IDF as they think through their various scenarios. I think his return date is well reported on social media. Jared, but I can confirm he's... Return to the United States. <clears throat> Excuse me. General Ryder, thank you. Go to Tony Capaccio, Bloomberg. I had a couple questions. He always has some good questions. Can you review the bidding on the type of weapons the United States has provided to Israel and roughly what types have actually come from U.S. inventories versus direct commercial sales from Boeing and other companies? And second, the Iron Dome 
U.S. Iron Dome batteries, have they arrived yet in Israel, or will they be arriving in the near future? Senior defense official, thanks Tony. Broadly speaking, the categories of equipment that the IDF has requested and we have worked to provide, including one, air defense, two, to include Iron Dome. So here's your categories. The first one is air defense, to include Iron Dome. Two, artillery ammunition, no surprise there. And three, precision guided munitions. I do not have a breakdown for you at this moment about what came from U.S. inventory versus through existing contracts such as defense commercial sales. But as we've discussed before, we're using all available authorities, mechanisms, and funding to ensure that Israel has what it needs to defend itself. And the Iron Dome batteries have not yet arrived, but they are in process of being transferred to Israel. General Ryder, thank you. Let's go to NBC. Courtney Koob. Thank you. Just three quick follow-ups. So the Baton and Fabius Readiness Group, are all three of those ships in the Red Sea, or have they moved into the Med, Mediterranean, I think she means? There were a bunch of reports over the weekend about that. On Tony, to talk to Tony's question, how many shipments have the U.S. sent into Israel? And then finally, are the U.S. air defense systems that you guys announced last week, are they all in place now? Uh, Senior defense official, thanks for those questions. On Baton, I'm not going to talk here about specific locations. You've seen our public statements about where things are going. Side note, I'm going to do a little story about that when we're done with this one a little bit later. Uh, On the shipments to Israel, listen, this is a robust across the Department of Defense with State Department effort that has scaled up exceptionally quickly, which underscores President Biden and Secretary Austin's commitment to ensuring Israel has what it needs. The shipments are arriving every single day for Israel. There is nothing new or beyond. There's nothing new or different beyond the three categories that I just described. On air defense, we're continuing to flow in air defense into the region. Of course, three categories were air defense, one fi- artillery, ammunition, and precision-guided weapons. Question, can you say numbers, though, or how many shipments? I mean, is it every day? Are we like at a dozen, two dozen? How many are they coming in via air, right? Like how many flights have flown in? Senior defense official, we're looking at every possible way to get Israel what it needs as fast as we can get it. Uh, Almost done here. General Ryder, thank you. Time for a couple more questions. Let's go to Howard Altman Warzone. Thanks, got a couple questions. Can you clarify the number of Patriot batteries and battalions and or battalions that have been shipped out as part of influx of air defense systems? Can you give that number? Can you say a separate question, whether U.S. Reapers have been inactive over Gaza? Senior defense official, thanks on the first question. Two battalions. We'll not get into numbers today. I said two battalions. You You can draw your own conclusions from that. And I have nothing else to report today on Reapers. I mean, I was looking at Twitter today, and supposedly there was a an aircraft called Call Sign Kronos over uh, Gaza. I don't know. So, so everybody's thinking there's Reapers over Gaza. Who knows? I don't know why I said that. I, you know, just something you see on social media. Half that stuff's probably not true anyway, right? Uh, what else? Is that it? Yeah, there's one more. Again, this is a deputy press deputy Pentagon press secretary, Sabrina Singh. Holds an off-camera, off-the-record press briefing. I'm sorry, off-camera, on-the-record press briefing, 30 October. Um, I read it, and the only thing I'm going to read is this. A couple things, and then I'll move on. Uh, Question, do you believe the Israelis and the tactics and operations they have exhibited on the ground so far have listened to U.S. questions and observations? Again, with this stuff with General Glenn, I think. Miss Singh, 
We certainly think our conversations both here in the department across agencies all the way up to the president have certainly informed, at least guided, some of what the Israelis are doing on the ground in their ground operation, but we're not directing them. We're not providing anything other than asking the questions that we ourselves ask or would ask of any partner or ally what to consider when it comes to any ground incursion. So I would say, you know, it's been an ongoing conversation. The secretary has near daily calls with Minister Gallant. Likely they'll have one today. Of course, Secretary Austin. Uh, what else? Okay, and then you said U.S. conversations with Israel have guided their operations. What do you mean by guided? Miss Singh, maybe I should rephrase. The way our, as you saw, General Glenn was on the ground. The way our, I would say, we've been interacting with the IDF. And certainly with Minister Glunt is asking the questions that we would ask ourselves on best how to preserve civilian lives on the ground, but also helping them understand how complicated urban warfare is. <laughs> and that's why you saw General Glenn, who I would say, especially background on this, providing advice on how complicated urban warfare is. I'm sure the Israelis know how complicated Gaza is. <clears throat> um, I don't know. I've, I've seen that a couple of times, and there's that, uh, I'm not trying to be too sophisticated here, but you heard that same thing with uh, Ukraine a little bit, where the, oh, we're only giving advice to the Ukrainians, they can do whatever they want, and then here we're only giving advice to the Israelis, they can do whatever they want. What do they say, don't protest too much or something like that? Isn't that some sort of clever line that says, I don't know, don't listen to me. All right, next, what's next? Oh, uh Another good article from this guy, Zoran Kusevak, from 28 October. Remember, I did a, a story on him last episode, I think, from Al Jazeera, where he did an uh, analysis of the, one of the first incursions that uh, Israel did, the IDF did. And he's got another analysis from Al Jazeera, which is pretty good. You know, I like his take on it. I don't know if I agree with it, but I like it anyway. And then I got another one from uh, Jay Post, Jerusalem Post which is very good too. So I've got kind of two different, uh, how would you say it? I guess it's the uh, two different views on the ground. So here we go. Analysis, Israel's ground attacks yield lots of bang little success. This is from Zoran Kusevak. Uh, who is Zoran Kusevak? He is a geopolitical and security analyst, <clears throat> war correspondent, producer who's been covering conflicts in Europe, Middle East, North Africa and Central Asia for nearly four decades. And right now he's doing this, I don't know if it's a column or a, a daily thing or a weekly thing. He's writing for Al Jazeera. Drink some water. Sorry about that. <coughs> Excuse me. Anyway, Al Jazeera, 28 October. Um, here we go. A strong combined arms attack on Gaza that started Friday night continued on Saturday. But it's still unclear on whether this is the big step in the first big push that Israel's been announcing or just another probe to test Palestinian resistance. I should say Hamas resistance, right? Uh, anyway, the Israeli military launched, a two, launched two limited scope attack, ground attacks on Wednesday and Thursday night, releasing videos to exploit them for propaganda. On both occasions, they pulled back to Israel before dawn. Saturday reports from Gaza may be the last made over mobile networks and land-based internet. Israeli forces hit Public telecom infrastructure in Gaza is now under a total communications blackout. The only means to get information out to the world are the few remaining satellite telephones, but those could be targeted any time. Israeli Air Force dedicated electronic warfare 
to pinpoint every device exchanging data with low-orbit communication satellites and deadly air-to-ground missiles against it. Uh, okay, that, that remember this story is from 28 October. Now, 29 October, I'm throwing this in there. A 29 October Washington, Washington Post article said communications in Gaza cut by Israel Friday night were partially restored Saturday, Sunday morning at the Biden administration's urging, according to U.S. senior officials. So I think there is some communications in Gaza. I just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> anyway, back to the article. Uh, the destruction of communication nodes and use of electronic countermeasures to block any remaining public lines that survive will not ha- harm Hamas fighters, knowing Israeli tactics and capabilities, and they appear to pre- prepare for this course of action. Talking about Hamas. Palestinian sources claim that Hamas has installed Israeli-proof communications infrastructure in its extensive network of tunnels under the Gaza Strip. It allegedly laid 10 kilometers of cables with strong electromagnetic shielding to prevent the detection and interception of signals. Installed in the most modern tunnels set much deeper, they are almost fully secure from prying Israelis. The cables emit a minimum amount of electromagnetic radiation, and the great death practically prevents detection and signal interception. These new secure means of communications may explain how Hamas managed to keep its plans for the 7 October attack secret. On Saturday, Israeli's Defense Minister Gallant admitted that his forces were specifically targeting tunnels. Israel claimed to hit more than 150 underground targets, but this claim must be taken with a pinch of salt. Buildings hiding tunnel entrances may be 150 tunnels unlikely. Since Hamas first embarked in underground warfare, its tunnels have grown from primitive makeshift dugouts a couple of meters deep to sophisticated, well-engineered, concrete-clad structures that reportedly stand as deep stand as deep as 20 meters under the surface. The reasons for going so deep, a feat that requires considerable engineering effort and manpower is to pass under Israeli border barriers, including tall concrete walls that extend as deep as 8 meters. Wow, 26 feet under the surface. Digging deep gives Hamas the advantage of their tunnels becoming immune or fairly immune to Israeli bombing. Ordinary iron bombs, free fall, or laser-guided bombs are penetrate poorly. Anything deeper than one meter, three feet is relatively safe. Having gone through so many bombardments, Hamas has taken good care to locate its subterranean facilities under surface structures. Its tunnels probably extend under buildings wherever possible. This affords the tunnels the protection of several concrete floor slabs that even bigger ordnance has difficulty penetrating. Uh, Almost done. Uh, This can be overcome by tandem warheads where the first charge explodes as projectiles hit the topmost slab, the next blasting through the one immediately below. Most warheads can take out two layers, a few can take out three. None can blast through three or more. If a structure is hit by a conventional explosion beforehand and turns loose layers of rubble, the task becomes more challenging. Rubble favors defenders rather than attackers. Maybe. I mean, it's neutral, right? The rubble is neutral. Uh, special dedicated bunker, special dedicated bunker buster bombs exist, designed to take out biggest and hardest underground bunkers. But they are certainly not going to be a game changer in this conflict. Uh, we'll, we will have to see how the latest ex- escalation will develop and whether it will lead to an invasion along multiple lines, using at least thirty thousand ground troops, or will it quiet down? To sum up the last four days of attacks, nothing Israel has shown 
so far could grow into a major strategic initiative to win the war on the ground. Its next steps will show how well it learns and how well it learns from its and Hamas's performance. Again, that is Mr. Kusavak, and I'm going to kind of look to him for in, with interest in the future. See what he says. Masagua, more water. Uh, moving on. So now I've got another really good article. What am I doing, Tom? 16. From uh, Jerusalem Post, how the IDF is turning guerrilla warfare against Hamas in Gaza. Analysis. Uh, guerrilla warfare is as old as war, but traditionally it was used by the little or weaker side to hold off a larger, less agile side. Pretty good points made in this one. Uh, this is from Yonah Jeremy Bob. 27 October, updated 28 October. Uh, Yona Jeremy Bob is a Jerusalem Post senior military correspondent, intelligence analyst, and literary editor. He covers the Israeli military, the Mossad, the Shin Bet, defense technologies, Iran's weapons of mass destruction, cyber war, and war crimes allegation. He is well connected to all the top Israeli ministries from his former post in the IDF, the Foreign Ministry, and the Justice Ministry. Anyway, that's who he is. Here's his article. Uh, IDF incursions in the Gaza over the past few days have targeted and, in short, engaged a small number of Gaza fighters. Three weeks of air, airstrikes have done more, far more damage, so the impact of the incursions was fairly limited. Delaying the ground invasion is now questionable, especially as further delay could reach a point where international pressure on Israel to end the war will escalate. It's already there. Uh, by assuming the trumpeted large-scale invasion... By assuming the trumpeted large-scale invasion starts moving soon, the concept of rolling out the invasion in stages, starting with a variety of lightning in-and-out sorties, is smart. Some analysts thought this process had started two weeks ago, only to learn that the reported incursions into Gaza were just barely over the border to gather bodies and did not even really engage Hamas. Hamas's only way to survive at this point is to bog Israel down with ambushes, booby traps, and hit-and-run tactics deep in Gaza cities to neutralize, neutralize Israel's aerial and technological advantage. Essentially, the IDF is not taking the bait and is turning guerrilla warfare against Hamas. This is where it kind of gets interesting. Uh, guerrilla warfare is old as war itself. Traditionally, it was used by the weaker, more agile side to hold off the larger, less agile side. Uh, but by making targeted incursions and regularly changing the points where incursions take place, the IDF is keeping... The Hamas on edge. Put simply, Gaza terrors, Gaza's terror rulers do not know where the IDF may jump out from next. This is designed to make Hamas antsy to the point of impacting morale, make it second-guess its defensive posture, and allow IDF drone surveillance platforms to observe Hamas movements for targeting. True, Hamas is disciplined and may be able to see through a number of small incursions while maintaining readiness for the later main invasion, but it is only natural that readiness will decline as Hamas fires get used to small incursions and false alarms. If the IDF applies the tactic properly, it will make simultaneous multiple targeting incursions to confuse Hamas about what will happen next and then strike the moment Hamas lets its guard down. This will enable the large IDF to gain an initial foothold in the Gaza before Hamas can fully adjust the mount of counteroffensive. None of this means that the IDF can avoid significant casualties. At some point, troops will need to exit armored vehicles and go house to house to root out terrorists hiding in tunnels, attics, 
or anywhere that drones and surveillance platforms may miss. Hamas will then get a chance to blow up IDF as they open the house door, gun them down through holes, or set uh, or fire anti-tank missiles on IDF vehicles, which are bogged down in an area set for ambush. But by fighting guerrilla warfare with guerrilla force, shows respect for the adversary, forces IDF troops to maintain a greater agility and operational awareness, improves understanding of Hamas's defensive posture, and should improve IDF morale in the initial stages of the invasion. In short, initial limited incursions do not significantly delay or replace a larger invasion, but if employed properly, they can substantially enhance the chance of a successful full invasion. That wasn't bad. I kind of like that. Now, there are a lot of good points there. All right, what am I doing with time? 20 minutes. So that's it. Uh, how many more stories? Like three or four? This one's an odd story. Uh, it's a nuclear story from the U.S. It's a release from immediate release, 27 October. Fact sheet on B-61 variant deployment. I'm sorry. Fact sheet on B-61 variant development. This is a nuclear bomb, basically. Uh, 27 October 23, on 27 October, the Department of Defense announced that the United States would pursue a modern variant of the B-61 nuclear gravity bomb uh, designated the B-6113 pending congressional authorization and appropriation. They need the money. Uh, The B-6113th will strengthen the deterrence of adversaries and assurance of allies and partners by providing the president with additional options against certain harder and large area military targets. The 2022 nuclear posture review observed that United States competitors continue to expand, diversify, and modernize their nuclear forces while increasing reliance on nuclear weapons. As the security environment evolves, it's necessary for us, the United States, to consider nuclear force adjustments to ensure our ability to achieve deterrence and other objectives. Uh, The B-6113 will replace some of the B-6117s in the current stockpile. The B-6113 will have a yield similar to the B-6117, which is of a higher yield than the B-6112. The B-6113 will include modern safety, security, and accuracy features of the B-6112. While the B-6113 will provide the president with additional options against certain harder and large area military targets, the DOD will separately continue its work to complete and implement a comprehensive strategy for the defeat of hard and deeply buried targets. I guess that's what this thing's for. I don't know. The B-6113 will provide the president with additional options against harder and large area military targets, even while the Department of Defense works to retire legacy systems such as the B-83-1 and the B-61-7. Almost done here. The B-6113 will not increase the overall number of weapons in the U.S. stockpile, the number of B-6112s to be produced will be lowered by the same amount of the number of B-6113s to be produced. Uh, the fielding of the B-6113 is not response to any security. Any specific current event is reflects an ongoing assessment of a changing security environment. Kind of an odd story, but I did it. Uh, this is next story <clears throat> is a Navy story, U.S. Navy story about the Bataan, the Carter Hall and the Red Sea, kind of what was referred to earlier in the press uh, release. 
from USNI News, 30 October today. USS Baton, LHD-5, and USS Carter Hall, LSD-50, are expected to remain in the Red Sea for an expended period as part of the U.S. Navy build-up the Middle East. Embarked on the ships is a North Carolina-based 26th Marine Expeditionary Unit. The MEU, M-E-U, includes a command element, an aviation combat element, a Marine medium tilt rotor squadron, a ground combat element, Battalion Landing Team 1-6, and a Logistics Combat Element, uh, Logistics Combat Element 22. The Marines aboard are trained to evacuate civilians in conflict, uh, conflict zones. Defense officials confirmed that besides the Baton and Carter Hall, at least three guided missile destroyers are also in the Red Sea. USNI News understands that USS Roosevelt, DDG-80, USS Thomas Hudner, DDG-116, and USS Kearney, DDG-80, G-6-4, Carney was blasting missiles out the sky. They are all in the Red Sea as of Monday. While the Thomas Hudner is assigned to the Gerald R-4 Strike Group, Carrier Strike Group, the destroyer has been operating in the Middle East, while the USS Gerald Ford CVN-7-8 and its escorts have been operating in the Mediterranean Sea. The USS Dwight D. Eisenhower CVN-6-9 and its escorts entered the Mediterranean Sea on Saturday, following the start of the deployment earlier this month. I think they came from Norfolk. Uh, let's see. Also in the Eastern Mediterranean is the U.S. Sixth Fleet Command Ship, the USS Mount Whitney, LCC-20. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin ordered the extension of the Ford Carrier Strike Group earlier this month, and Navy officials don't know when the strike group might make its return to the East Coast. U.S. warships are spread out between UCOM and CENTCOM is part of the United States' response to the ongoing war between Israel and Hamas, as well as recent uptick in attacks on U.S. forces in the Middle East. As of Monday, there's been 23 attacks against U.S. forces, 14 in Iraq, 9 in Syria. In addition to U.S. forces, the French and U.K. have sent warships. French amphibious warship uh, Tonnerre L-91-4 will join two guided missile frigates in the region, while Royal Navy has dispatched the Bay-class landing ship dock RFA Lime Bay L-3007 and the auxiliary ship RFA Argus Alpha-135. That's it. A lot of Navy stuff going on. What do I got left? Uh, Jordan, Kuwait, Sweden, and Poland. Wow, a little bit more than I thought. These next two stories from Defense Post by the same author, Awad Mustafa. I don't think I've done a story from him. Maybe I haven't. Um, but I've used most, most all, <clears throat> excuse me, very straight to the point stories here. Jordan asked the United States to deploy Patriot Air Defense System, 30 October. Uh, Jordan has asked the United States to deploy a Patriot Air Defense System on its soil, according to Jordanian Army spokesman, Brigadier General Mustafa Hayari. Uh, here's a quote from him. The, the system is an expensive system, and there's no way to provide it with local resources. We need a strategic partner. There are added ballistic missile threats against Jordan, he said, without specifying them. What do you take from that? There are potential ballistic missile threats against Jordan. Uh, Jordan does not host military bases, Yari said, but the United States does have a presence in the country to train Jordanian forces and provide upgrades and maintenance to equipment. Excuse me, in January of 21, 
The country signed a defense cooperation agreement, which gives the United States unimpeded access to certain Jordanian facilities. Also on Sunday, the general command of the Jordanian Armed Forces dismissed allegations that United States aircraft were using local air bases to supply Israel with equipment and ammunition for use in the Hamas-Israel war. You can believe that. Uh, the military alleged the aim of such allegations is to undermine Jordan's steadfast support of Palestine and to tarnish the reputation of its armed forces. It said Jordanian field hospitals are attending to casualties from the attacks in the Gaza Strip and the Royal, Royal Jordanian Air Force remains committed to delivering humanitarian and relief aid to Palestinians. The Jordan, I'm sorry, the Jordanian government called for an end to violence in Gaza and warned of dangerous repercussions. It also condemned Israel's treatment of the Palestinian people and emphasized Jordan's role in protecting the Islamic and Christian holy sites in Jerusalem. Uh, next article, again from Awad Mustafa, 27 October, a couple days ago. Defense News, Kuwait receives four Eurofighter typhoons. Kuwaiti Air Force received four Eurofighter typhoons this week, bringing its fleet size to 13 out of 28 on order. Deliveries began in 2021, December, as part of an effort to enhance the service's combat readiness. The Eurofighter acquisition program is part of collaboration between Kuwait and Italy. The Italian Air Force is providing air-to-air refueling with this KC-767 Alpha tanker and service plans and service plans to train pilots, engineers, technicians to support the Eurofighter fleet. The Eurofighter Typhoon is equipped with electronic warfare capabilities and a BK 27mm gun. It can carry various types of missiles. The aircraft reaches speed exceeding Mach 1, and each of the jets sent to Kuwait have an active electronically scanned array radar. The eventual 28 Eurofighters will complement the Kuwaiti Air Force's FA-18 Hornets and Mirage F-1 jets. Nice story there. Two more and we're done. 30 minutes. The next two are from Defense Post. No. Defense Blog. Uh, Emily, I'm sorry, Emily Ryan Meyer. Emily Ryan Miller Meyer. Swedish Armed Forces received new armored vehicles 28 October on Thursday. Swedish Defense Material Administration officially handed over the Patriot Patriot six-wheeled armored vehicles uh, to the Swedish Armed Forces. Uh, During a ceremony last Thursday, the FMV, which is the Swedish Defense Material Administration, uh, presented the initial batch of 20 troop transport armored all-terrain vehicles, the Patjib 300 Alphas, to the Swedish Armed Forces. Uh, This acquisition project has been expedited with FMV signing a contract with the Finnish defense industry, Patria, land in April of 23. The contract included a delivery of 20 vehicles along with system materials such as spare parts, replacement units, field kits, and training packages to the Swedish Armed Forces. The first vehicle along with training was already delivered in June. The final vehicle of the 20 will be handed over in November of this year, which is like tomorrow, next day. Uh, Several factors contributed to the rapid material acquisition process. This is a pretty good lesson here. First, in collaboration with Finland and Latvia, they have been part of an international cooperation program called the Common Armored Vehicle System, CAVS. This program focused on joint research, development, and procurement. Another essential factor has been the Finnish 
Swedish partnership with the Finnish Armed Forces allocating the production slot times for Sweden. A third factor was the avoidance of a Swedish-specific requirements that could result in extended lead times and increased costs. In other words, they said, whatever you're going to work is what we're going to work. We don't want anything special, I guess. Uh, the troop transport armored all-terrain vehicles delivered in the initial phase are part of a pre-series that precedes an upcoming serial procurement project. Uh, this procurement aims to deliver approximately 350 vehicles to the Swedish Armed Forces between 2024 and 2033. That's 10 years, man. Let's see. If we go 14. I'm not going to do math in public. I was going to try to figure out how many, uh, how big a 350 fleet would do. So if there's 14, 444, that's 48. That's 10 companies, right? Roughly. Yeah, 14, 28, yeah, 48, 10 companies. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Poland receives two new FA-50 light combat jet. This is the last story. So Poland receives two new FA-50 light combat jets. Of course, these are made in South Korea. We've kind of been following this for a while. Dylan Masilov, 24 October, defense blog. The Polish Minister of Defense announced the arrival of two new FA-50 light attack aircraft at Warsaw's air base, marking another significant step in strengthening Poland's air defense capabilities. The defense minister emphasized that to date, a total of eight of these F-A-50 aircraft have been delivered, and there's an expectation of receiving a total of 12 by the end of the year. Uh, these aircraft F-A-50 have been developed by South Korea. Uh, they bring advanced tech, uh, technology capabilities to the Polish Air Force, positioning Poland as a formidable force in the region. That's the truth. Uh, Poland is building their stuff up big time. The arrival of these aircraft represents a significant investment in Poland's defense infrastructure, aligning with the country's defense modernization efforts and reinforcing a commitment to NATO and regional security. Poland assigned two contracts in 2022 to buy 48 F-A-50 aircraft from South Korea. According to local media, introducing the F-A-50 light combat jet to the Polish Air Force will, will allow Poland to fully resign from the Soviet-area MiG-29 and Su-22 aircraft. And that's it. 34 minutes and 31 seconds. Uh, all stories are done. A little bit longer than I thought it was going to be. There's only like seven or eight stories, but I took I took a little bit too long, maybe. Anyway, I'm almost done. I'll let you go. Just want to say thank you one more time for the, uh, I guess, kind of a large number of downloads. Again, I was kind of freaked out by that, by the large number that I had to call the uh, podcast uh provider and ask questions but anyway if you're a new listener thank you for listening if you're a, a longtime listener or a former listener thank you for listening thank you for coming back and i guess that's it episode what is this 185 185 is in the books thank you very much for listening and good night